Colossians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I would like to begin with our theme verse. We've, if you were with us for the first time, or if you've missed some of the last few weeks, we've been very carefully working our way through the book of Colossians. Colossians is just a small book right in the middle of your New Testament. It's a book that was written by the Apostle Paul to some Christians that he had actually never met face to face. And he wanted to teach them some things, but they all center around this theme. The theme is Jesus first. Jesus first. That above, and what a great song that we just sang, I will build my life upon a firm foundation. And I just want to encourage you, whether you have been a Christian for many, many years, whether you are, have been a Christian for a short time, or maybe you're like a, a new friend of mine who I met recently, and uh, he's planning on coming to church in the next few weeks. He's exploring Christianity for the first time. Whoever you are, I just want to encourage you that if you will look at Jesus, like there's all kinds of religious things. There's you know, you come into a service like this, and there's music, and there's offerings, and there's scripture verses. There's a lot of things surrounding our faith, but at the center of it all is a relationship, a real relationship with a risen Savior, Jesus. That's the foundation of our lives. That's what we build on. And so our theme verse has been Colossians 1, 16 through 18. So let's, we, every time we usually read this out loud together, we're kind of memorizing it together in the services. So with enthusiasm and energy, let's try to say this together, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. Let's begin. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And that's the key word at the end there. He has the preeminence of all the important things in life. Jesus comes before them all. So in the book of Colossians, we've seen lots of different teaching. Now, the section that we're studying today, it's actually taken us. It was written as one message, and we got through part one the first week. We got through part two the second week. And now today, we're going to finish. That's what's going to happen. We're going to finish this passage of Scripture. But it all flows together. Now, I want to say right from the outset, as I've said every week, or I've at least alluded to every week, in this passage, there are some things that could be perceived as not culturally relevant. They could be perceived as, well, that's just not the way things are done anymore. But I want to encourage us all to understand this. As I said at the beginning, we start with Jesus. If Jesus is who he said he was, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus really rose from the dead, if he is God who became a man, then we can count on this. He knows what is best for us. As a loving Heavenly Father, he's ordered the world, he's structured the world, and he has created it to operate in the way that he knows best. When we as people decide that we would reject the way he would have us do things and say, well, this is a modern age, or this is a modern day, we're going to reinterpret, and we're going to do things our way. Well, that's our prerogative, I suppose. But the fact is this, again, start with the presupposition. If Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus rose from the dead, then who knows best how my life ought to be run? Well, he does, of course. 
And so that's something that I think uh, modern minds have to deal with as they look at the Bible. And what I have found and what you have found, if you are a Christian, is you've found that when you have ordered your life under the Lord Jesus Christ, you, it's led you into happiness. Can I get a witness here this morning? Anybody who's found that to be true, amen, that you've built your life on Christ and he's changed it. He's given you hope. He's given you freedom. Well, this passage that we've been looking at the last few weeks, this passage really is dealing with the family and how the family is supposed to be governed and how the family is supposed to be structured. So our Christian life is inside out, right? Jesus changes us on the inside, and then we start to live differently on the outside. So let's look at the passage. Let's read the whole thing. It's from chapter 3, verse 18, into chapter 4 and verse number 1. So Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. And you'll notice, and I'll review this again, you'll notice all of the members of the household are mentioned. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. What the Lord has given us is a formula for a happy Christ-honoring home, for a family that magnifies Christ, for a family that everyone could look at and say, wow, there is a home where Jesus is first. That is a family where Jesus comes first. And we studied in the introduction, and I'm just going to move through this pretty quickly because this is our third week on this material, but we looked in the introduction that this wasn't the Apostle Paul's idea. This was from the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, we studied how families are the very foundation of the culture, of the church, and of civilization. That God in his word has shown us that he values the family unit. And he's created it. He's ordained it. Right back in Genesis 1, we saw that passage that God creates man in his own image. And he creates male and female. Now remember, the man and the woman are created. There's two, there are two uh, sexual expressions of the human race, male and female. But how many missions are there? How many missions were given to, to humankind? Just one. The man and the woman are on the same mission to make a difference in the earth. And you, we studied that in the book of Genesis. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message a couple of weeks ago. We went very carefully. We explained it very carefully. And they're on the same message. They are to work together. So the first thing that we saw, as you look on the inside now of your handout, we studied in verses, the verses that I just read, how husbands and wives are to work together. They're to work together to magnify Christ. That the, the man and the wife have equal standing and equal value before God and before the world. By the way, this idea of equality between the man and the woman, is this, was this a commonly held view in the Greco-Roman world of the day? Not at all. In fact, historically, you find ancient peoples subjugating the role of women. In the scriptures, you find the role of women elevated, elevated to equal standing with men, equal standing with men. However, what you also find is that in that equal standing, in the home, men are giving the responsibility of leading the home. Now, you say, well, how can there be equality if the man is the leader? How can there be equality in the home? Well, we see in this way that the the, the wife in the home actually is being Christ-like. Jesus is equal with the Father, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is equal with the Father, yet in the Trinity, in the Godhead, Jesus willingly submits to the Father. He allows the Father to lead. So in each representation of the family, in each in each. Um, example that's given that we look at in this passage, every person is modeling Christ-like behavior. 
So don't miss this. I said at the beginning that he's giving us a recipe for a functional, happy, vibrant family. But he's actually giving us more than that because it's all about Jesus. And so as we embrace our roles and our responsibilities within the home, Jesus is represented. So he's represented by the wife, but then he also is represented by the husband. This would have been, this would have been uh, very important in the world that Paul is writing to. In verse number 19, where he says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, the husbands are referred to multiple times in this passage, the fathers, multiple times in this passage, because, and I would say part of this is because in the culture of the day, the men were given pretty much carte blanche power over their household. That was the culture of the day. They could do whatever they wanted. Well, the Apostle Paul said that is not God's design. Just because that's acceptable in your culture doesn't mean that's how you should lead your home. In fact, he says, fathers, husbands, you should lead your homes the way that Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself. He died for the church. In the same way, husbands in the family, that leadership is not about power and authority. Leadership is about sacrificial love. In that way, we model Christ. So, wives are given an opportunity to model Christ. Husbands are given an opportunity to model Christ. And then what we saw last week is the next point, parents and children. Look at verse number 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And so we saw that the parents and the children also do that. And it just kind of blew my mind thinking about this. How many of you remember the, uh, the, the Christmas song? It's so overdone, but it's a pretty powerful song. It's, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? And in just a few months, that'll be on repeat. And some of you are like, hey, I don't care. I'll listen to that a thousand times. That's fine. Overdone nothing, right? But that song talks about how Mary gives birth to the baby Jesus. And the, the, the essence of the song is this. Did you realize that this little child is God who has come down to humanity? It's an amazing thought. That's one of the great doctrines of the Christian faith. We call it the incarnation, that God would humble himself and become a human being, to take on human form, to live a human life, but also not just a man, but God, God in the flesh. But then as I read this passage, I thought, well, how do children model Christ? Do you realize that Jesus obeyed his mother and his father? I mean, the one who created the one who created knew everything. Jesus knew everything about Mary and Joseph. He knew them. Yet still, as he grew, the Bible says that he fulfilled all righteousness. He did every perfect righteous thing that anyone should ever do. Jesus was perfect. And so as a child, he demonstrated obedience. And so to all the young people, we spoke for a little while last week to everyone who is a, a, a child or a teenager living at home that you have an active role to play as a Christian now. Your Christian life isn't to be lived out someday when you grow up and are on your own. Your Christian life is today. It's now. And one of the ways that you reflect Christ is in your household by obeying your parents. You know, if people, if people would follow the simple instruction in these three verses, wives submit to your husbands, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things. If our families would return to this kind of Christian living where Jesus comes first in the family, if that would happen, we would have far fewer divorces. We would have far fewer therapy sessions needed, far fewer counseling sessions needed. We're all sinners, so I understand that we would still need some of those things, and things would still happen. Yet the Bible gives us a very simple and fulfilling way to live our lives. And when we put Christ first, I, I, I love the, uh, the illustration of a triangle. 
And so in the home, let's just take the, the man and the woman, for instance. You've got the, the husband and the wife at the bottom of the triangle. And at the very top is Christ. Well, as the man gets closer to Christ and as the woman gets closer to Christ, geometrically, what is happening to the two of them? They're getting closer together. They're getting closer together. Build your life on the Lord. So husbands and wives, parents and children working together to magnify Christ. Well, now that brings us to the last section in this passage. So uh, now you know we should be able to finish this today because we are on the very last page as we look at what's taking place. So we saw in verse 21, there's a second instruction given to the fathers. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now verse 22 brings a new group of, pe group of people into the household that we would not be accustomed to. But again, this is written in the context of the first century Greco-Roman world. And so in verse number 22, the next members of the household that are introduced are the servants. They are the servants. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now what does that mean, masters according to the flesh? What he's saying is, obey your human masters. Having a master according to the flesh implies that we all have a master according to the what? According to the spirit. That there's a spiritual master and a human master. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. That's going to be a key verse. Notice that. And think about who is it being addressed. Whatever you do, do it with your whole heart. Do it as if you're doing it for whom? To the Lord. Don't do it like you're serving people. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Jesus, the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Well, let's just get the elephant in the room out in the open right now. What are we talking about? What is, the, what is the situation that we're dealing with in this passage? It's slavery. And it's a very sensitive topic for good reason. We're dealing with slavery as it's mentioned in the Bible. And there are many critics of the Bible. There are many critics of the Bible and critics of Christianity who will come to passages like these and they will launch out into a series of attacks against Christianity because they'll look at a passage like this and they'll, they'll, they'll freak out. And without a, without a background, I kind of understand why. They look at this and in their mind, the Bible is endorsing what? Slavery. How many of you have ever seen a YouTube video or a Facebook reel or heard a critic say, well, I could never be a Christian because the Bible endorses slavery? How many of you have ever heard that? somebody say that before? Okay, I'm sure there are more that are not raising your hands. It's, been, it's a very common theme. And so as a Christian, there are some applications here that we're going to look at in a minute. But I always like to give you some resources, give you some resources so you can understand your faith and you can intelligently discuss what this is all about with a friend or a coworker, a neighbor or a stranger who would say, I can't believe in Christianity because look what happens here. The Bible is endorsing slavery. Well, we need to back up several steps as we understand this. First of all, we need to understand, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write a few things down here. This is, this is, not, these are, this is not in your notes. 
you already know, there's a few things that you, you should understand. Our American and Western experience with slavery, which is a horrible sin, it's a scourge in the pages of American history, our experience with slavery is not equal to what we're reading about in the Greco-Roman world of its day. So we need to understand that right from the outset. In our mind, when we hear the word slavery, we automatically go to the colonialism of previous centuries in our experience. And we automatically think of a racially motivated slavery. And sadly, were there Christians that tried to perpetuate that situation? Absolutely. There were Christians who tried to use the Bible to advance that. However, I would also have you note, who were the leading abolitionists? They were Christian people. The leading abolitionists in our history were Christian people. So, slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not the same thing as slavery in our American experience and European experience. Well, you say, well, well why? Why? First of all, Greco-Roman slavery, and the slavery really that exi has existed since the world began, was not racially motivated. It was not a racial slavery. They did not, they did not view people as uh, inherently, because of their ethnic makeup, they did not view people as just deserving to be slaves. Secondly, the slavery in North America and South America that took place was especially abhorrent because it involved stealing people, kidnapping people from their homes, which was expressly forbidden, both in, it, it, even in the Old Testament. People say, well, Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was illegal to what was referred to as man-stealing. It was illegal to go and capture someone to enslave them. So, that was a, so that's a key difference. So not ethnically or racially motivated, it was, uh, this wasn't by, you know, in, in the American experience, it was a direct violation of scripture. Another difference was the entire Roman society, you could meet people at every level of society that were the descendants of Roman slaves. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. But the way slavery worked in the Roman Empire was you, would, you were enslaved for a number of reasons. Either there was a war, and the defeated armies became slaves. Again, I'm not saying this is a good thing, it's just what was the situation in the day. Or sometimes criminals. Instead of being sent to prisons, criminals were sometimes subjugated to slavery. However, it was not assumed that because you are a slave, all of your generations would continue in slavery. In fact, there were emperors in the Roman emperor, Empire that were said to be the descendants of slaves. Many of the servants were household servants, like we're reading about here, and some of them performed highly skilled jobs. And through performance of those jobs, let's say they were literally jobs like accountants, physicians, teachers, they performed these jobs, and through the performance of those jobs, they could be compensated, and through that compensation, they could eventually purchase, what do you think? Their freedom. So slavery was not a permanent condition. Now, Am I here saying, well, this was a good thing? No. And Christian societies that have practiced the teachings of the Bible that about the equality of all people, in fact, in the book of Galatians, Paul says in the church, there's not male, there's not female, there's not Greek, there's not Jew, there's not free, and there's not slave, but we are all one in Christ. So Christian principles eventually led to the, to the elimination of these principles. But like all things... Just like when Jesus came, the purpose of the Christian life, the purpose of Christian teachings was not to ignite political or social revolution. Could Jesus have done that when he came? Could he have gathered an army and marched into Jerusalem and thrown the Romans out? Could he have tried to do that? Yeah, but Jesus says, my kingdom is not of where? My kingdom is not of this world. You see, the kingdom of God was in the hearts of men. And God in his sovereignty knew the course of human history, and he knew what would happen over the course of time. But the point is this, in this moment, Paul is writing to a servant 
in this situation, and in, they find themselves in this social class, and what is it that they should do? How should they live their lives? What can I do? Christianity was not about starting a slave revolt. Those happen quite often in the Roman Empire. That's not what the Christian message was about. The Christian message was about true liberty and freedom that would be found in people's hearts. And you say, well, why didn't Paul just tell the, the, the why didn't Paul just tell all the masters to free all their slaves? Well, in some cases he did. You read the book of Philemon. In the book of Philemon, Paul meets a slave in prison. And he becomes a Christian and he sends him back to Philemon and he says, but don't receive him as a servant, but receive him as a, does anybody know what he says? As a brother. Receive him as a brother. So as you, if you encounter people, and there's much more research that's been done on this, you can read, you can investigate it on your own, but you need to have some understanding. You need to, you need to have some rational explanations behind your faith because let's face it we live in a generation that does not just accept the teachings of the bible but challenges them and aren't you thankful that there are answers for what we believe from the word of god so how does this how can we make any application to our lives today how can we do this well many people and i think this is a helpful application many people have applied the principles of this passage to our employment, to our employment. And when you think about this, it makes sense in the context of the family because one of the most significant situations or one of the most significant factors in your family life is your professional or labor occupation, what you do. One of the things that will have the biggest impact on your life and on your family and one of the biggest ways you can help your children as they grow up as Christians is how will your children, how will you, and how will I represent Christ in our places of occupation? You spend more time, after all, you will spend more time in your life with the people you work with and the people you work for than some of the closest people to you in your family. And I believe, and I have experienced this to be true, because most of you know that in addition to pastoring, I work a secular job, and I have for all these 17 years now. And in the workplace, I have found that there are so many opportunities for us to point people to Jesus Christ. And so you may think th this morning, well, the, you know, the responsibility or my Christian life is lived out in the church and it's lived out among my brothers and sisters in the church. And yes, it's lived out in my home. But your Christian life is probably more than anywhere else lived out in your workplace. And if we take the principles of servants and masters and we apply them to our working environments, I think you'll find you could be someone who makes a difference in other people's lives. I think you'll find that you would advance in your career. And I think you'd find more prosperity moving in your direction. You say, wow, I'm not a prosperity, name it and claim it, pastor. That's not my thing, right? I don't believe in all that. However, these principles will help you flourish in your work environment. And not only does the Bible say it, but it has, I've seen it be proven true in my life. So notice a few things, the application here. First of all, he says that employees should be dedicated and honest. Dedicated and honest. Look at verse 22. So if you would allow me to substitute these words, if you give me that liberty, servants or employees, obey in all things your employers according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Oh, Everybody knows that person. If you go to work, you know, if you've got a place of work with other people, you know exactly who I'm talking about. This is old English, fancy, fancy words, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the guy, and I remember in my, I had, I worked quite a few years doing manual labor, literally digging holes 
with a shovel, okay? I had a boss, and he literally, these were his literal words. Aaron worked for this guy, too. He literally said this to us one day. He said, you know, you give a guy a machine, he forgets to use a, how to use a shovel. <laughs> I was like, okay. Now, that was, that was what he said. You know what I'm talking about, right? So you give a guy a machine, and he forgets how to use a shovel. And that's what we did. We dug holes, and we planted trees, and we cut lawns, and we did all this stuff. And he had these shovels that weighed 15 pounds. I mean, they were solid steel, and we would work those things all day long. And I, was, I started out at 19 years old working for him, and it was a good experience. I learned a lot. But I also would see every now and then, and we, you can imagine, we cycled through a lot of coworkers at that place. A lot of people came and left. And so we're, you know, you're working hard, and there's always that guy who is very comfortable allowing you to do most of the work. Anybody ever worked with somebody like that before? They're just very comfortable taking lots of smoke breaks, lots of, uh, lots of time, and they're okay. You're sweating and you're working. And then they hear the sound, in my case, they hear the sound of that diesel truck coming up the road. And the boss or the foreman is in the truck. And wouldn't you know, they are reinvigorated with, with energy and power and strength, and they start working away with you. And you're just like, really? Really? Well, listen, if I could paraphrase the scriptures, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. That is not Christ-like. You might say, well, I have the most miserable, cranky, you know, up and down employer or boss that you have ever experienced. You might. You might. But a Christian understands that I don't serve that boss. Who do I serve? I serve the Lord. And in my workplace, listen, this is where Christianity gets very, very practical. Very practical. It's not very effective to tell your coworkers how much you love Jesus if you don't demonstrate it with your hands, if you don't demonstrate hard work in your actions. It's very diff difficult. There's no fear of God there. It says this, verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it, how? Heartily. Put your heart into it. Put your soul into it. The place where I work, we have this saying, well, I, I didn't come up with it, but, you know, the, the boss sometimes motivating people. And, and I fortunately worked for some really, for and with some really amazing people. It's a great experience. I haven't always had those opportunities. But, you know, the, the, we're trying to find significance and meaning in our work like a lot of people do nowadays. And the boss is like, well, you know, we're not curing cancer around here. And we understand that, that what we do is not in, in a, as what you would think of as the most impactful thing in the world. I mean, we're putting, oh, those are pretty nice windows, though. I, we, you know, we put those windows in. So I'd say it's, it's, it's up there with curing cancer. You know, it's right next to, no, let's face it. It's, it's simple work, but you know what it is? If I remember the good that I'm doing for other people, if I understand the impact that I'm making, and that what I'm doing is for the Lord, and so that my interactions with other people, and the way I present myself, and the, the, the way I speak, is it honestly, is it just, is it pure? I don't serve. I'm not, we're not about installing windows. Or maybe you are involved in one of those. We have several people in the medical field in our church that, that help literally save people's lives. That's great. It's amazing. But whether you do something more mundane like me, or you do something more incredible like my wife, okay, whichever you do, we're primarily not serving each other. We're not serving our bosses or our companies. We live for Jesus. We live for him. And he looked down, and think about the value and the meaning that that gave to a Roman slave. To a Roman slave, he said, hey, you've got a great calling. Your calling is to serve the king of kings. 
Now, look what happens. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now, verse 24, you'd be tempted to just read over it. But there's something that would have been so meaningful to the Roman slave in this passage. He says this, knowing, understand this, be confident of this, know this, that of the Lord from God, you will receive the, what's the word? The reward. But what is the reward? The reward of inheritance. You say, okay, well, why is that significant? If you were a slave in a Roman household, do you know what your greatest ambition and hope would be, if not for yourself, at least for your children? Do you know what happened sometimes in Roman households? Sometimes, sometimes the master of the household would look at his servant and maybe the son of his servant. And the master of the household would be so impressed with that young boy or that young girl, would be so impressed with that person that they would say, you know what? You are no longer a servant, but I am going to legally adopt you as my heir. And so somebody could grow up in a Roman household as a slave. And as they entered adulthood, there was a legal ceremony referred to as adoption, similar but different from ours. As when they became an adult, the master of the house would say, you are no longer a slave. You are now an adult in my house and you have all of the rights of the inheritance just as much as my natural born children. Would that be an incredible experience? I think it's hard for us to imagine because we've never been in a situation like that. But the greatest thing that could happen in your wildest dreams, it's a free pass. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. It's a free pass to no longer be a slave in that household. But now you are a child of the inheritance. Well, Jesus says this through this passage. He says, because you are born again, because you are a Christian, it doesn't matter if the greatest things in life happen or not, because you will always and forever be my child my son, my daughter, with all of the rights of inheritance, not an inheritance to some Roman house and, and some, some animals and some gold, but you are, an, you are an heir to the kingdom of God. Whatever situation you face in this life, you see, what's happening here is more than just, we, we, we just, sometimes we, we don't look at the background of this enough. The fact is, these, Jesus is giving these slaves, he's giving these servants in this household an incredible amount of value, an incredible amount of purpose and worth in their life. There are a lot of people today that are not in bondage, they're not in slavery, but they have such low views of themselves. Because our society, they may not, we don't have slaves, but we definitely have people who are put down in our society, don't we? People who are looked over, people who are downtrodden, people with little means and, and little... Listen, like we sang in that, in that song, you are not low, you are not low class, you are not any of the ugly words people would call you. If you know Jesus Christ, I am who you say I am, Jesus. Like, like we sang about, I am who you say I am. And if you know Christ, no matter what station you find yourself in life, you belong to him, you are his child, and you are an heir to the kingdom of God. That's who you are in Christ. And so, you go to work. You know, as they used to say, work for the man, right? You go to work, you get beat down. There's this song that's going around. It's just gone viral on, on all the social networks. This guy down south, he wrote this country song, Rich Men North of Richmond. Has anybody seen that or heard that? Go, okay, you, you've heard about it, you've seen it. I listened to it the other day. And I'm like, man, this is so sad. Because it's all about a guy just talking about how he doesn't make any money and the rich people got him down and all this and all this. And I'm just like, man, this is just depressing. Whether you have pennies or you have riches, if you know Jesus, you have it all. You have it all. 
So don't live a defeated life. Live as a child of God. And he says that, listen, I've found this to be, and I'm thankful, I'll just, I'll try to not be overly political here. I'm really thankful that I live in America. Oh, that's not political, right? I'm an American, I can say that. I'm really thankful I live in a free country where these biblical principles, even though it's not perfect here, in free societies where they recognize these biblical truths that all people are equal and that I have opportunities. I praise the Lord for that. And I've found this to be true, that I have worked in very low pay, very difficult jobs. And I've not been perfect. I've complained. I've broken these scriptures many times. But I have seen that if I, if I fulfill this, and I think, you know what? I'm here to serve God. The Lord blesses. The Lord promotes. The Lord moves. It works. Sometimes still, I'm driving into work. And I work a little ways away. And so a lot of days, not every day, but a lot of days, I'm down in Chicopee, Mass., and there's this roundabout, this rotary, before I turn on. And I don't do this every time, but sometimes as I'm getting ready, as I take that exit, I stop right there and I just say a short prayer. I say, Lord, I work for you today. Try that this week. As you pull into your job, as you get there, as you open your computer, wherever you work, just say, Lord, I work for you today. And you'll be amazed at what God does with the day. But the instruction is not just given to the servants here. Who else is the, is the instruction given to? The masters, the employers, the bosses. The Bible is not advocating that, well, the, the, the employer is always right. You know, the, the, um, you know the, the ugly extremes of capitalism that we've experienced in our in our, even in our culture where there's forced child labor and all that. I mean, that's part of that. These are things that we have to deal with. The fact is the Bible calls the masters in this passage to be fair, equitable, and just. Not to take advantage of the worker, but to do right. Look what it says in verse number, verse number one of chapter four. Masters, give unto your servants that which is what? Just and equal. Don't show favorites with the people that work for you. Some of you will have opportunities to be managers, maybe even business owners in this room. You'll have the opportunity to treat people poorly or treat people as Christ would. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal because you are not the ultimate boss. Because you have a master who is in heaven. How many of you have ever experienced a coworker promoted and all of a sudden power trip, like within seconds? You know what I'm talking about? Like, boom, in, a, in, a, in an instant. Well, that's the complete opposite of a Christian boss. Some of you are bosses. You can show Christ to your employees by how you treat them. If you're a manager, what, do, what does your team say about you? Could they describe you that way? And if you're a team member, how would your fellow team members and how would your managers describe you? You see, this is a Christian household. This is a uniquely, a uniquely Christian way of living. Now, none of these things make us Christians. We understand that, right? Christianity is about realizing what Christ has done for me. Christ submitted himself for me. He came from heaven to earth for me. Jesus sacrificially loved me. Like, like a husband is supposed to sacrificially love his wife. Jesus obeyed the Father in all things as children are to obey parents. And what's most astounding of all is Philippians tells us that Jesus even became a servant. 
He took on, the Bible says, the form of a servant. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but I came to what? To serve and to give my life. To give my life. What was Jesus doing on the cross? Well, you could answer that question many ways. But what Jesus did on the cross, he served us. He served us. In fact, before he went to the cross, what did he do to the disciples as they were gathered in the upper room and they took their shoes off? What did Jesus do? He washed their feet. He prayed for them. He gave them a meal. He served them. And then he went to Calvary. And on the cross, he suffered and he died for me and for you. To pay the penalty for our sin that we deserve, Jesus died. He became a servant. But aren't you thankful that he died a servant and he rose a conquering king? He rose from the dead on the third day. And he said to us, if you would like salvation, if you would like eternal life, all you have to do is believe in me. The Bible says that anyone who will admit to God that they're a sinner, that's called repentance. God, I'm a sinner. If you will repent of your sin and you will say, Jesus, I believe you died and rose again for me. I put my trust in you. That's what it means to believe in Christ, to make the decision, to make a decision in your life that it's not going to be your way. Your sin has made you guilty, but you believe that Jesus died and paid for your sin. And you simply ask him to save you. You say, well, don't I have to be baptized or do religious things? No, none of that. Jesus served us when he gave us salvation. So what about all the things you've been talking about this morning? That's the changed life that salvation brings. See, when I give my heart to Jesus by faith, then he changes me on the outside. He makes me a new person where I endeavor to think about what he did for me. Jesus, if you've given me so much, then I'll give my life to you. I'll give it to you. So two questions. First of all, has there ever been a time in your life where you put your faith in Jesus? Has there ever been a time where, that I just described? You say, well, I don't know. I mean, I believe in God, kind of. No, there's a decision point that we all come to in life. There's a decision point where God works on our hearts. Has that ever happened? If it's never happened, I believe that God could be speaking to your heart right now. God could be speaking to you right now and saying, listen, you need Christ. What's been missing is Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to be forgiven. You say, well, I don't understand it all. All you need to understand is that you have sinned and Jesus is a savior. That if you believe in him, he'll save you. So the first question, have you ever done that? If not, would you do that today? In just a minute, I'll lead you in a prayer where you and your heart can ask Christ to be your savior. That's the first question. If you're not sure, settle that today. Make sure today that Jesus is your Savior. Second question is for those who have put their faith in Christ. You'd say, I have, I know I'm a Christian. Are you living out in your workplace, in your family, are you living out the Christ life that is inside you? We're going to prepare to end the service. We're going to sing that song, Build My Life, again. That was just a beautiful song for today, so... We'll do that one once more. But I want to have a time of prayer first. So we're going to bow our heads. Josiah is just going to play a few notes on the piano quietly as we come to prayer. Remember those two questions. The first question was, have you received Christ as your Savior? If you have not right now, I want to invite you to do that. Whether you're in this room or whether you're watching, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. No one looking around. But if you've never received Christ as your Savior and you'd like to receive Christ, you can do that right now. Pray something like this. Say, Dear God, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sin, and I believe that you rose from the dead. 
I can't save myself, but I ask you to save me. Jesus, I believe in you today. If you prayed that prayer this morning in your heart, please let someone know. We have little cards here in the, in the seats, connection cards, and I'd love for you to fill that out and just mark on the back that you receive Christ as your Savior today. Let us know just so we can pray for you. If you're watching the message online today and you made that decision, send us a private message. We'd love to pray for you and help you grow as a Christian. But let's just take another minute and for those of us here that God has spoken to our hearts this morning, let's just have a quiet time of prayer. Let God speak to you, talk to the Lord, and let's pray together as we finish the service today. God, we thank you for the message that we heard this morning. We thank you for the relationship that you offer us through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that if someone in here has not put their faith in you, that today would be the day that, Lord, they would trust in you and you alone as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge each and every one of us to, uh, Lord, live out the gospel, Lord, in every situation, in our homes, in our families, in our workplace. Lord, I pray that our prayer would be that we would build our life on you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.